0: you ever feel like you have something that you just don't deserve or that you don't deserve the things that you have? Um, I'm superficially experiencing that a little bit right now, being back in my own house, um, with, uh, a fully renovated kitchen and I've just about gotten over the surprise every time I walk into the room that it looks the way that it does. Although that still happens. Um, but as I spend more time in there, I look around and I'm like this is too nice for me. Um I don't I shouldn't have something like this. I need I I should have something that's just kind of like janky and has problems with it. I feel like I need like something should be wrong with it. Um because I don't I don't know why. It's just that's that's kind of a silly thing. But I don't know. When I think about that, that feeling with that, like that extends to other things too. Um uh, at work when I first started my first job and I'd been working there for a while, I felt so like a fraud, like that people thought I knew how to do things and knew what I was doing and knew what I was talking about. And it was only a matter of time before I slipped up and they realized the truth and then they kicked me out of there. And I would love to say that that feeling went away after I worked for like six months or a year or something. But I still kind of feel that way sometimes when I'm at work, like, uh, that at some point someone's going to get on, they're going to catch on to me and they're going to be like, what is this guy doing here? Why, why, why is he here? What is, just get him out of here. He doesn't belong here. Um, I don't know. I just kind of, I can feel that way sometimes with, with status or position, um, even with relationships sometimes. um, do I really deserve to have these friends? Do I really deserve to have these relationships, these interactions? Um, for various reasons. Um, and it even extends into spirituality. Uh, as I have gotten more into contemplative practices, what that involves a lot of times is sitting in silence alone with just God and you. And when you're just alone with God, you can't hide anything because God like sees everything and knows everything. And because it's you, you also kind of know everything that you've done, right? And so God knows all the stuff that you've done that you kind of feel guilty about that you wished you hadn't done stuff that maybe just happened yesterday, or maybe that happened 15 years ago. Um, God also knows the things that you thought about doing, but then didn't do, but kind of wanted to do, which is also kind of disturbing. And so it's really easy to come into what should be a nice, beautiful, contemplative practice, um, and it can very quickly um, become uncomfortable and awkward and kind of terrifying. Um, You can actually kind of feel like you're entering into this relationship under false pretenses. Like, here I am, I'm going to pretend to be a Christian right now and do a contemplative practice, but God's going to catch on to me at some point and figure it out. And... And he's, he doesn't really seem to care for, for phonies and frauds. Well, our reading this morning talks directly about this. Um, first John chapter three, verse 20 says, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Actually, I really like the way that the voice translates this. Listen to this. Even though our inner thoughts may condemn us with storms of guilt and constant reminders of our failures, we can know in our hearts that in his presence, God himself is greater than any accusation. He knows all things. My loved ones, if our hearts cannot condemn us, then we can stand with confidence before God. That's such... A beautiful and reassuring image and idea that God, and if we remember other parts in Scripture, um, is not here to condemn, right? For, uh, John chapter 3, For the Son of God did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. God, is that's not what this is about. And God is greater than our hearts, greater than any accusation and already knows everything. And so can actually provide some comfort for our own self-condemning hearts to be able to come in and enter the presence of God. That's a that's a very, it can be a very wonderful, very beautiful, very reassuring thing. Let's keep reading. Uh, let's see. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask. Because, because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. So I've, I've noticed this thing in myself where I will a lot of times be reading along and I'll, I will find a, a verse or a passage in the Bible and I will label it with the adjective confusing. And I'm I'm recognized that it's not necessarily fair to the verse to call it confusing because in and of itself it's not confusing. And probably to a lot of people, it's not confusing. There are there are many people who will read this passage from beginning to end and say, This is wonderful, this is comforting, this is affirming. But I have to confess that when I got to the word because in verse twenty-two and continued reading. It started to get confusing for me, and I feel like I need to explain that. You see, my own faith journey involved, as I grew up, I had this structure that was constructed that told me that was the framework for my faith. This is how I understood God. This is how I understood the world. And I've shared this before. I reached a point where I eventually, like, the cracks in that framework were not, Holding up, and I, it was causing me too much angst, and I had to just let it all go and I had to completely tear it down, and I had to build up something that was different, that was new, that had a lot of the same pieces in it, honestly, that was guided by this this idea, this revelation, this knowledge that that there is a God, and this God is wonderful and loving. And spoiler alert for first John chapter four is love um, that that with God will do what is right and that we are invited into a, this relationship with God this beautiful flow of of connecting and of love and my old framework had a lot of had some of that in it but it was also very Transactional. It was a lot of if this, then that, right? If you pray, then God will answer your prayers. If you believe, then you'll be saved, right? Actually, I was tr- grew up in Churches of Christ. So if you repent and publicly confess and are baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, then you'll be saved, right? And so there's a lot of and, – and it's not like a – works versus faith grace kind of thing and because the language of grace was wrapped up in that framework too but it was still very transactional if you do this then you will do that yeah i forgot full immersion and that's that's an excellent point too right then because well because this idea that it's like okay you're not saved you don't have to follow all of the law you just need to believe and then you'll be saved or you just need to be baptized properly and then believe and then you'll be saved But, like, what does that mean? What does it mean to believe in the name of Jesus? Well, in the old framework, it was something like this intellectual acceptance of a fact, right? Let me tell you this story. The story is that about 2,000 years ago, God was born of a woman that had never had sex and grew up and walked around and healed lots of people and performed miracles and then was executed by the state. But then three days later, came back to life and then went back, went up to ascend to live in heaven. And if you can believe that, like, really, like, believe it as a fact in your brain. Don't quit. you know, as the same kind of way that you believe that gravity, like if I drop this pin that it falls or that the sky is blue. I can't see it right now, but I know that the sky is going to be blue. Like, if you can believe it axiomatically, that without a doubt that it's in there. Then you can be saved, which, if I'm fully transparent here, as I have been so far, is hard for me to do, to fully, like, rationally, completely convince myself that something is real, despite maybe some evidence or questions to the contrary. Um, And so that kind of leaves you in a state of wondering, do I really believe? Do I really – am I really doing this right or not, right? Right? And then, as, as we mentioned before, the Church of Christ stuff too, with like, being baptized in the right way, by the right person, at the right time. Like, there are a lot of people when, when I was around college age, that were getting baptized for the second time, or the third time, because they were not, they were concerned that the first few times didn't count, because they had done it wrong. So this whole idea that like, you have to, you have to believe and you have to believe the right thing and you have to really believe it and do it right so that you can be accepted by God so that you could stand before God without condemnation. Like it seems to kind of undermine the entire spirit of this passage right here. Um, so going back up to that and looking at, okay, well if our hearts condemn us, well my heart is condemning me that maybe I'm not believing right. But I have to be believing, right, so that I will actually be connected into God. Okay, perhaps I'm bringing something to this text that's not actually there. It's it's very possible slash likely that I've got some baggage here associated with keep his commands and specifically believe in the name of Jesus. Um, that our author here, um, Mr. First John does not necessarily intend us to um, believe or to bring to this. Okay. So what's going on here? Let's let's look at it again. He says, okay, we can receive anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him, and this is his command that we to believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and to love one another as he commanded us. This is his command, singular, implies one command. To believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and to love one another as he commanded us. Then he lists two things. I checked a couple of different English translations to make sure this wasn't a translation error. It's in, t- it, right? Maybe, maybe the author here made a mistake but I'm going to say, let's give the benefit of the doubt and say no, but this was intentional. One command that looks like two different commands. It kind of reminds me of when Jesus was asked, what was the greatest command? And Jesus said, the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself to believe in the name of Jesus and to love one another as he commanded us. Actually, it kind of reminds me of something else, too, uh, that uh, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, when at the beginning, when he's talking about, if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. It's as if belief in the name of Jesus and love one another Are, if not the same thing, they are so interconnected that you can't really do one without the other. This whole passage here, uh, 1 John chapter 3 verses 19 through 24 really reminds me of the Gospel of John chapter 15, which is the whole I am the vine, and my father is the vine grower, and you're the branches, that whole bit. All that language about abide in me, and my words will abide in you, and I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, and you are in me, and you are in the Father. This this very confusing in a different way, um, but also kind of beautiful image of union and unity. Uh, it calls back to the idea that I was talking about last week in the communion thought of God in three persons sitting down and enjoying a meal together in this wonderful relationship with an open invitation for us to come and join in the same meal, enjoy it and participate in with God. It feels very much like what I'm building up in my, quote, new framework, my new understanding of God and yet in the midst of all of this, in John 15, is also this bit about if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Like, it's all wrapped up in that together. And if I go back to First John, it's actually, he starts to use some of the same language here. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him, and he in them. And this is how we know how he lives in us. We know by the spirit he gave us. So there is this language of being connected to God and having this flow, this this relationship, this intimacy that does not seem to be restricted based on me doing the right thing or believing the right thing, but on the relationship. And I almost wonder if, The one who keeps God's commands isn't a condition to get into it, but a description of one who is in it. In other words, do we have to work so hard to convince ourselves to think right or to do right so that we can connect with God? Or is it simply that when we open up and connect with God, that we become the type of person that loves one another because God is love and fills us and flows out of us, do we simply become the kind of person that maybe not 100% intellectually beyond the shadow of a doubt, I'm not going to question it up here, believes in the name of Jesus, but with my life and with my actions that I believe in the name of Jesus, that I love and show that love to others, maybe that's What he's saying here in this passage, and if so, I do kind of find that reassuring, that this wonderful connection with God, this deep intimacy of a God that does not condemn, that loves, that is greater than my own self-condemning heart, can fill me so that I become the person that lives in the name of Jesus and loves others. how do you respond to this this morning does any part of my story or message resonate with you in particular the the self-condemning heart the the angst over right belief and what that means or this transactional relationship with God that we can have or not have what what parts of that speaks to you how does this hit you this morning if you just put your name in the chat room and I will call on you and you can speak Alright, all at once. Uh, let's go, Ben. <laughs>
1: uh, full disclosure, uh, I got a little distracted when you were asking your question, so I'm not exactly sure if this is addressing the actual question you asked, but it is on topic of, uh, the, um, the connection between the two and one command reminds me of the late philosopher and theologian Marcus Borg who points to the fact that before the Enlightenment, the object of the word believe, both within sacred text and secular text, the object of the word believe was almost always a person and never a statement, Uh, that to believe in someone was to commit fidelity, loyalty, was to follow. Uh, It was only after the Enlightenment, when we had to parse out who was in and who was out, that we believe became connected to propositional statements, an intellectual endeavor. And so it makes me think of how uh, that fits well with this notion of if we believe in Jesus and the notion of if we follow, if we're loyal to, uh, if we give our fidelity to, we'll be in the way of love. That you can't follow Jesus and not then love one another. And so those two become symbiotic. They are one and the same. Um, one is always a product of the other.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Ben. That's a little... Uh, a little uh, academic weight to my random musings here. Appreciate that. Marquila.
2: I think I was just really moved by this idea of the framework, you know, and that we all have a framework in which is being constructed in childhood. And it, it frames how we see God, how we see ourselves and how we see the world and how I feel like we all come to a, crisis of faith at some point where either that that framework work um, solidifies and it's, it's reinforced or that thing comes crashing down and it's like what the heck you know who am I who's the work? you know you don't know anything and I love this idea of when you said some of those things some of the pieces you keep and how you restructure it is different now and the idea of transactional relationship i think there was a long time where i didn't realize that my relationship with god was so transactional that i had to get up at 4 a.m and pray and i had to spend deep deep you know detailed study in in prayer i mean and studying the word and all those things are necessary for god to be pleased with me and all those things are necessary to be effective in ministry because god's not going to show up you know and in You know, it's just, I mean, we can all go on forever about all the ifs and thens, you know, and they're paralyzing. They're so paralyzing because the equations just don't always work. It doesn't always, I don't always do right. And so just the liberation of just loving, just that connection of believing and loving, that is liberating. You know, even though I didn't necessarily put it as eloquent as you or academic has been, but just coming to <laughs> believing and loving are intertwined and the rest of it let it go. <laughs> That's it.
0: I love it. Thanks, Marquila. All right, John.
3: I really appreciate uh the ways that you that you took the the passage that you were struggling with and brought in so many others. Uh, to see the, uh, the overlap and the interconnection, the richness of that, the similarity. I had never brought those together in such a way, and it was really helpful, very illuminating. Um, i reminded that uh, in my background, uh, charismatic, it was all about going there and having a good old time worshiping and then going home, or later on going to a uh, uh, a good, a good <clears throat> sermon that was more like a teaching and going home, well, I have knowledge. Well, I had fun. That's all. Thank you very much. Get off my day. But contemplative is scary. It, it, it's a lot more remembering my uh, my own patterns, my own lust, my own greed, my own selfishness, my own uh, uh, unfinished business. That's something that uh, is easy to avoid. And in our busy, crazy world, there's 99 ways to avoid that. Uh, yet... Like you said, you know, uh God is omniscient, He knows everything about everything. And He's everywhere. There's no there's no hiding. You can run, you can't hide. And what helps me in my theology, what helps me is my theology. My theology says there's positional righteousness and there's conditional righteousness. Positionally, I'm in Christ, period. Done. All over. Conditionally, I work it out. That includes doubt. That includes fumbling and stumbling. And but with the two Somehow those two helped me to sort this mess out. For the 12-step work, you've got to look at your fears and your resentments. You've got to tell somebody. you got to get down and dirty. And yet at the same time, you have to hold the fact that God loves you unconditionally. At the same time. I mean, you got to walk this puppy out. And not only me, but a whole bunch of other people I've seen over the decades have done that. It's, it's, it, again, it's easy It's simple, but not easy. Just because I mean simple doesn't mean it's easy. Pass.
0: Yeah, so true. So good. Yeah, that holding those two things in tension, knowing fully yourself and then trying to also know that God fully loves and accepts you and bringing those two together is, yeah. Thank you, John. Terry.
4: I agree with you, Ted. I, too, grew up in the Church of Christ. Uh, my parents did not go to church, but um, that's that's kind of my background, too. And it was more of the checklist type of things to make sure that you got it right and then you were okay with God. And I was thinking about that, and I, rem- I can remember the day. You know, we talk about that scripture, loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But I don't know that it occurred. It occurred to me, even in my adult life, that God truly loved me, for me, um, without me doing everything right. <laughs> you know, getting it right, like you said, Markeila, getting it right, doing everything, and and doing the the check off and and getting it right. And I was thinking back, and I remember the very the very place I was, where I was, what I was doing when I heard God speak to me in my heart, and it was like I heard him say, Terry, I love you. And it was just like, what? You know, and it ever since, the, at first it was like, I, I really felt it very strongly. And I never had really thought much about, um, you know, we are to love others, love God and love others, but I never really thought much about God really loving me. And um ever since then, it just there are certain times I just I, I feel it I, I mean I just when the sun comes up and hits me, I feel God just give me a big hug and and remind me that he loves me. so um that you know that that kind of was a a page turner for me in my faith. Is it wasn't just about what I did, but it's also what God did for me, and that God truly loves me. And I don't have to always get everything right.
0: Thank you, Terry. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for sharing. Um, This. Yeah, I when I when I first skimmed over this passage, I thought this is going to be this wonderful, beautiful, comforting thing. And then when I read it a little bit more carefully, I thought, oh, great, there's I'm going to have to either ignore this or confront this. Um, And I was kind of 50 50 there for a while. I was like, maybe I just only read the first half of the passage and just do that. But, uh, I gotta do, we gotta do the work. Um, and so I do, I think, I think it was, I think this can bring us comfort. I think, um, yeah, I appreciate, appreciate all who shared, um, and all who listened to me work, continue to work through my own
4: personal deconstruction and reconstruction here in public. Um,